are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, February 21st. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Get ready. Low snow and wind once again move into our region. We've got your detailed weather forecast. KVMR's Felton Pruitt goes to Amy Irani, Director of Environmental Health, to find out how Nevada County is working to comply with reducing organic waste and methane emissions. The mine proposal gets a mention, too. We end with a commentary by Nell and Gorin. She's got a challenge for the beard growers of Nevada City. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. A man suspected of murdering Catholic Auxiliary Bishop David O'Connell in Los Angeles over the weekend has been arrested. At a press conference Monday, L.A. County Sheriff Robert Luna identified the suspect as 65-year-old Carlos Medina. Sheriff Luna said Medina is the husband of O'Connell's housekeeper and had done work at the bishop's home. He said a tipster told detectives Medina claimed the bishop owed him money. L.A. Archbishop Jose Gomez said O'Connell immigrated from Ireland and was fluent in Spanish with an Irish accent. He served the city for over 40 years. Every day he worked to show compassion to the poor, to the homeless, to the immigrant and to all those living on society's margins. He was a good priest, a good bishop, and a man of peace. And we are very sad to lose him. O'Connell was found dead in his bedroom around 1 p.m. on Saturday in the community of Hacienda Heights. Luna said Medina's wife is cooperating with investigators. Bishop O'Connell was described by friends as compassionate, a man who loved to work with people less fortunate than himself. He started the Southern California Immigration Task Force while he was a pastor in South L.A., working to help unaccompanied minors and other migrants build a better future for themselves in this country. Linda Dakin Grimm is a consulting partner with Millbank LLP in Los Angeles. But after meeting Bishop O'Connell, she now works pro bono on immigration cases. He, I think, saw himself as, you know, a kid who grew up not rich, who was an immigrant himself. And he didn't do this from a perspective of being a benefactor or, a, you know, somebody higher up. He was among the people that he saw as his people. Dakin Grimm says she'll miss his compassion for others, his humor, and his willingness to accept everyone for who they were. Did you know the last secondary lead smelter west of the Mississippi is here in California? It's called Quimetco, and it recycles the lead in old car batteries about 25 miles east of downtown Los Angeles. That might sound cool, but the process releases lead into the atmosphere, which then sinks into the soil. In fact, Quimetco's been violating toxic substance regulations for years. Now, Quimetco has reached a settlement with the state that allows them to stay open, and residents living nearby are not happy. KCRW's Kaylee Wells has the story. This problem actually began in 2015, when state officials say Quimetco's spate of 27 pollution violations first started. Director of California's Department of Toxic Substances Control, Meredith Williams, says they gave the company three years to fix their problems, but... Quimetco's 
unresponsiveness was a significant contributing factor to the length of time it took to resolve these issues. Public health agencies say there is no safe level of exposure to lead. A soil sampling in 2016 and 2017 revealed that a third of nearby homes had illegally high lead levels in the soil. And that's according to Cuomeco's own report. But in the meantime, residents sometimes get sick, and they blame Cuomeco. My mother, she did get cancer, a rare cancer. I can't say it's from that place, but, you know, she did end up passing away from it. And also, um, I had three cats that came up with tumors on their body, which I'm also suspecting is from uh, Cuomeco. Nick Bukite lives in his childhood home, less than a mile from the plant. His neighbor just got cancer, too, and his dog just developed a tumor. He says it's too expensive to move away. Standing in his backyard, you can see the facility smoke. It's hard to describe the smell. It's subtle, like drying paint. You know, I'm very infuriated, you know. Of course, we live right next to it, and I have my nieces and nephews, my own daughter, you know, and they got to deal with that stuff, too. Air quality officials said in 2016 that thousands of people living near Cuomeco are at increased cancer risk. Bukite says every year he gets a pamphlet in the mail reminding him of that. Cuomeco declined to do an interview, but in a statement, the company says they have not found any significant risks to living near the facility. The company also cited a cancer cluster study that did not find a cluster surrounding Cuomeco. They deny some of the pollution accusations and say they're proud to be the cleanest secondary lead smelter in the world. And so the conflict moved to court, says Williams with the Department of Toxic Substances Control. So DTSC was forced to file a civil complaint in 2018 which in the end resulted in the recent settlement agreement that was announced last December. The state says Cuomeco has fixed almost all of its 27 violations. The settlement allows it to operate while it fixes the last two. Cuomeco also has to pay $2.3 million in penalties. This agreement has not satisfied nearby residents. I say shut them down. Shut them down. They've been non-compliant for years. Which they made clear at a community meeting last week. They have should have consulted with us because it is our lives that are being affected by this. Adriana Quinones has lived here for 23 years. Her sister has cancer and her nephew died of a rare cancer at 35 despite no family history. She says the fine struck many of them as way too low. Because 2.3 million is not sufficient for the number of people that have died, the people that have uh, health issues. As part of the settlement, the state also reduced the severity of some of Cuomeco's recorded violations. Now, Cuomeco can continue its application to expand its operations by 25 percent. If there was ever a time when it was appropriate to have a secondary lead smelter in Los Angeles County, that time has long since passed. Angela Johnson-Mazaros is the managing attorney at Earth Justice, which represents residents impacted by Cuomeco. They're asking for no expansion, figure out a way to remove this facility and clean up its historic contamination. Right now, there's no path to any of those happening. In the meantime, residents say they're focused on raising awareness, posting videos of the factory, and creating public pressure to meet their demands. For The California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Hacienda Heights. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. 
and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, February 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. The regional news report is all about the weather as low snow and wind move into our area, potentially for the rest of the week, with another storm on the horizon at the beginning of next week. Once again, we could be looking at hazardous driving conditions, downed trees, and power outages. Ubinet.com offers these suggestions. Have sufficient food and water for yourself and your pets to last for several days. The Food Bank of Nevada County is offering an emergency food distribution from 10 a.m. to noon on Wednesday at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Grass Valley. Their regular Thursday distribution is canceled. Pick up any prescription medication you may need before the storm hits. Charge your electronic devices and check flashlights and radio batteries. Secure outdoor furniture and other items that could blow around. Make sure you have sufficient firewood, gas up your vehicle, charge your cell phone, tablet, laptop, etc., and have flashlights ready. Ubinet reminds you your local Nevada County Library branch is a great way to warm up, grab a book, or connect to the internet during daytime hours. Call 211 Connecting Point, not 911, for non-emergencies. And monitor your local media, like KVMR and Ubinet, for weather alerts and updates. Nevada County and Sierra Roots are accepting guests at the Cold Weather Shelter at the Nevada City Veterans Hall at 415 North Pine Street until 8 p.m. tonight. The shelter will be operational through Friday morning. And here's your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. A winter storm warning is forecast for 10 a.m. Wednesday to 4 a.m. Saturday. In some areas, winds could gust up to 40 miles per hour. Low snow is expected for the rest of the week, along with wind and travel impacts. The heaviest snow is expected Wednesday afternoon through Friday morning. Through Saturday, as much as 8 inches of snow could accumulate at the 1,000 to 1,500-foot elevation. At 1,500 to 3,000 feet, total accumulation could be between 1 and 2 feet. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley will be partly cloudy with a low around 26. Winds could gust as high as 28 miles per hour, decreasing after midnight. Wednesday's forecast is for snow showers mainly after 4 p.m. with a high near 40 and south wind up to 10 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of less than half an inch is possible. Wednesday night expects snow showers mainly before 10 p.m. with new snow accumulation of 1 to 3 inches. The expected nighttime low is 27 degrees. Tonight in Trekkie and Lake Tahoe, snow showers likely mainly before 7 p.m. with a low around 7 degrees and northwest wind up to 15 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of less than 1 inch is possible. Wednesday in Tahoe, a chance of morning snow showers, then mostly cloudy, with a high near 22 and west wind to 15 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of 1 to 3 inches is possible. Snow showers are likely Wednesday night, with a low around 9 and southwest wind to 15 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of up to 4 inches is possible Wednesday night. For Sacramento and Woodland, a wind advisory is in effect overnight with west to northwest wind up to 35 miles per hour with gusts up to 45 miles per hour. 
Some frost tonight, otherwise mostly clear, with a low in the mid-30s. Wednesday, a chance of showers mainly after 4 p.m., with a high near 53. Winds will subside Wednesday morning. Wednesday night, a chance of rain showers before 10 p.m., then a chance of early morning snow showers with a low around 36. Little or no snow accumulation is expected. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. A recent state law mandates that counties reduce organic waste and methane emissions. It also aims to encourage donations of surplus food to people who need it. In this interview, KVMR's Felton Pruitt finds out how Nevada County is working to comply and how business owners can get trained on the law at a webinar taking place Wednesday. We're talking with Amy Irani. She's the director of the Nevada County Environmental Health Department. Amy, we haven't checked in with you for a while, so I thought we'd find out what's the latest and what you want folks to know about. This is great, Felton. Thank you. I think we're we're moving forward with a lot of folks may or may not know about the new state law, Senate Bill 1383. The idea is to reduce organic waste disposal and also move towards donating or reusing edible food to feed people who are in need of good food instead of letting it go to waste. And it also supports our community. I guess there's a webinar that goes with this training? There is a training webinar. It's a great question. The folks that need to comply, I don't want to get too technical, but there are tier one generators. And those are supermarkets, grocery stores, a lot of the wholesale food vendors. And then there's the tier two generators, which are your large restaurants your local education agencies, or if you have a state agency that has a cafeteria, and then any hotels or motels. So there's a great training webinar that's going to be performed on Zoom, and this is on February 22nd at 2 p.m. And folks that wish to uh, attend, they need to RSVP to Paulina Benner, She is the managing consultant that is working with our waste management team to put on this training, and she can be reached at her email, pbenner, B-E-N-N-E-R, at r3cgi.com. If we went to mynevadacounty.com and looked this up, could we we get there too? You could, yes. There would be um, an area where we have this also available. And we would be just, it would just be the flyer, which would give you the information for uh, Ms. Benner to sign up for the training. And I guess this all goes back to the fact that they're trying to keep your food waste out of our local uh, dumps. Correct. California in 2016, with the SB 1383, when the law was passed, set methane emissions. And the target to reduce these methane emissions has focused on reducing organic waste which would emit those in a larger landfill. It increases the emission. Also, this goes back to the individual, because I remember talking with waste management, and they initially had plans to put out a third can with, you have your recycling, you have your Mm -hmm. garbage, and then they were going to have a third one for organic waste, but that's been tabled for a while. I believe you are correct, Felton. Um, And there's also 
other discussions with a lot of our nonprofits, great organizations out there that will help people understand how to do on-site composting of your organics, which you could use in your own garden. There's some great tools out there to help folks, too, that wish to kind of create their own composting site to enhance their flower beds or their own gardens. So, but yes, I, I think there's more to come from waste management for every resident. One of the other topics that I wanted to talk with the Environmental Health Department about is how does the Idaho-Maryland mine interact with your department? Well, that's a great question. Um, so there's a couple of operational um, aspects to any type of large business or large processing business. If there's going to be any processing that involves solvents or any other types of hazardous materials or chemicals stored on site, they would need a permit through our hazardous materials division. We follow the state EPA regulatory guidelines and we would be the oversight for how they store it, what kind of operational plan they have in a case of emergency, and then just do inspections of the site to make sure they're maintaining the storage and use areas correctly. Felton, one other aspect of the operation could have been the possible development of housing and or a food-type kitchen set up for the employees. That would definitely be something as far as a commercial kitchen operation that we would want to permit to ensure it is, you know, it meets current California Retail Food Code standards and is is designed to provide safe food for all of the employees it's serving. So in those two areas, that, that's where environmental health would have some way in. Has Rise Grass Valley, the people proposing the Idaho-Maryland Mine Project, uh, made any proposals to your department so far? Not at this time, no. I think they're still in the, um, you know, kind of still going through the planning approvals and that whole process. So I think once there's more of a solid path moving forward, I imagine that's when we'll uh, receive some information and plan submittals. Uh, give us the uh, website one more time for the folks that want to uh, look at the webinar for the training for businesses on SB 1383. Sure. You can you can definitely go to our um, com. It could be in two places under um, solid waste. Or also, that's in the Community Development Agency uh, Department or Division, and also in Environmental Health. And you'll see the flyer for the training. That's very good. Thanks for all the information. Absolutely, Felton. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. We've been talking with Amy Irani, the Director of the Nevada County Environmental Health Department. All right. Thanks, Amy. You betcha. It's good to chat with you. We end today's news with a commentary by KVMR's Nell and Gorin. Once again, the weather is getting hairy, and Nell thinks it's time for Nevada City to follow suit. She's throwing down a challenge for the beard growers of our county, one that would make Giuseppe Garibaldi proud. Nevada City is a wonderful place for celebrations, festivals, and parades. We have Mardi Gras, Constitution Day, Summer Nights, Victorian Christmas, Film and Music Fests, and a truly fantastic homegrown Halloween. But there's one thing we don't have, a beard contest. Here we are in the hairy heart of the Sierra foothills, where facial fur is not just common, but styling, and yet the good men of our town do not yet have a chance to show off their facial finery. I propose that we change that. Beard and mustache contests have grown in popularity over the past decade, 
as more and more men have rejected the tyranny of the razor and embraced a free and furry lifestyle. It wasn't long before this hirsute revolution became a cause for both celebration and competition. These festivals attract facial hair aficionados from far and wide, a merry and often hairy bunch who converge on the towns that hold these events in order to gape and wonder at the contestants' abundant facial flora while eating, drinking, shopping, and enjoying the local sights. Held since 2010, last year, the National Beard and Mustache Championships took place in Casper, Wyoming, and featured a staggering 47 competitive categories. Mustaches were separated into stylistic distinctions such as groomed, English, freestyle, handlebar, dolly, and uberstache. Beards were divided into partial and full, with partials duking it out in the subcategories of goatee, Fu Manchu, musketeer, Donegal, Shenandoah, and whaler. Then, like boxers by weight class, the full beards were separated by size, keeping the trim three inches far from not just the medium weights, but those ZZ top style 24 inches, not to mention the specialist categories of Verdi and Garibaldi beards. So much hair, so much competition, so much fun, both for the local citizens and the out-of-town visitors drawn to gawk at the follicular abundance on display. What could better suit a historic mining town like Nevada City and celebrating styles popular in both gold rush days and our current time. I know that looking into a beautiful beard, I often feel lost in time, if not lost in a forest, as I contemplate the strands of hair growing as lushly as pine trees in the Sierra. Okay, so we can't do 47 different categories like the national competition, but think of the Nevada City-specific categories we could invent. The Three Forks of the Yuba Beard, the Deer Creek Goatee, the Miner's Furry, the Gold Stash, and the Empire of My Mind Freestyle. The possibilities flow as abundantly as water down the Yuba in winter, or hair down the face of many of our citizens. We can always start small and grow from there, just like beards do. The point is that this town needs a magnificent display of the rugged and refined ways that hair can be grown on a human face. And anyone who says a beard contest can't be held here in the Sierra Foothills is just telling a barefaced lie. Nevada City Council, Chamber of Commerce, citizens and business owners, what do you think? Let down your hair and let KVMR know your thoughts. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for Tuesday, February 21st. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties from San Francisco to Lake Tahoe. MilkmanCompany.com the KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs every weeknight at 6. Remember to tune in to KVMR in case of emergency for the latest reports at the top of the hour or as news breaks. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Stay safe and warm and join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News. 